This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. Hi, Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Boy, so much to pack into today's show. There is just so much. It's just incredible and crazy. Coming up later this hour, we're going to speak with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Yeah, after his, I want to find out how he's doing after his motorcycle accident. I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, he's such a great guy. I was just just heartbroken about that. Uh, But he is going to join us. So we'll talk about the Floyd protest, defunding the police and more with him later this hour. I want to start off, though, with the Attorney General, uh, Bill Barr. He uh, had a- an interview with Brett Barron, special report. And I want you to hear this is cut to Justin. I want you to listen to the Attorney General on on the protests, the riots. And, I, and I, I delineate between the peaceful protesters who I believe you have every right to do that. And I support you doing that. I believe everyone, you know, should exercise that right. If you feel strongly has to be peaceful. So I delineate between the peaceful protesters and the rioters. The rioters hijack the peaceful protesters um, cause. And I think a lot of the rioters and looters were just out there. You saw them in New York City pulling up in luxury SUVs. One of them was a, a, a what was it, a Mercedes SUV worth over $300,000. And a bunch of guys jump out with bags and they have all these tools to break into these stores and they knew exactly what they were looking for. They take everything that they want. They just go shopping, put it in these bags. The car comes back to get them and they throw it all in and away they go to the next stop. It was like Halloween for them. You know, um, so so I delineate between the two. And so here in this interview, he's talking about, he says, the protesters, but he, listen to what he has to say about Antifa. This is interesting. It's a very loosely uh, organized group, and they, and they have sort of a unique or, or unusual uh, system of communication and organization. There appear to be uh, f- sources of funding, and we are looking into the sources of funding. And there, you know, there is clearly some... Uh, you know, a high degree of organization involved at, at some of these events and, and, and coordinated tactics that we're seeing, and we're looking into that as well. Uh, and, and some of it uh, relates to Antifa. Some of it relates to groups that act very much like Antifa. Uh, there, as I said, there's a witch's brew of extremist groups that are trying to exploit this situation on all sides. And that's what makes it really hard. We had, Fox had gotten reports earlier, I think it was last week, uh, from anonymous sources uh, connected with uh, the federal government, connected with uh, DOJ, FBI, uh, who told them that they've been looking into Antifa for a while now and they're following the money. Of course, you follow the money, also following their communications. In order to try to isolate common people, common contacts within the group, in order to be able to maybe nail these people down for for sowing this this violence 
which is what they want. They want the violence. They want the unrest. That's what they're about. And, and make no, do not believe that that's not what they're they're looking for. And look at this. You go to Minneapolis, and let me uh, let me just get the audio here. Um, you go to Minneapolis. This is. Uh, cut eight. And look what's happening in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, a court just ordered immediate implementation of changes in the Minneapolis Police Police Department. Under a court order entered uh, by the county, Hennepin County District Court Judge Karen Janish, the city of Minneapolis must implement a series of measures, which include banning neck restraints, chokeholds, and they have to report unauthorized use of force by fellow officers. So if you see another officer using a chokehold or a neck restraint or something like that, you have to report them. Any police officer, regardless of tenure or rank, must now report if they observe another police officer using any unauthorized use of force while on scene, including any chokehold or neck restraint. I'm okay with saying that, you know, these, these chokeholds, these neck restraints, we have seen more than one person die by the use of these improper use of these, these techniques. However, I think it's super easy for a politician who's a lawyer or community activist or whatever it is, their background is rarely do they come from police, from the police ranks and become politicians telling police officers how to do their jobs. Our I think that right there is super, super um, wrong. And it's very easy to tell someone else how to do their job if you've never done it because you don't know what is involved. So I think sometimes you have to leave these options open to police officers, especially in a life and death situation. If the other person is is wielding a gun or a knife or whatever it happens to be, you have to give them that right, uh, that ability to use that. You don't want police officers dying because they're afraid to use a certain technique to um, to protect themselves, right? So, so let's go to Minneapolis, the city council there, and listen to where they're going with this. This is Lisa Bender. She's the Minneapolis city council president. Our police department is not keeping every member of our community safe. And so I think step one for us is to tell the truth. Nine council members from communities all across the city of all different backgrounds standing together to tell the truth and say, this system isn't working for too many of our neighbors for too long. Our reform efforts have failed and we have done many, many attempts at reform and new leadership in the department and many things. uh, And we still see um, this tragic death they're not protecting every member of our community. First of all, it's impossible to um, protect every member of your uh, community. Uh, if they could, that would be great because then there would be no crime if they could protect everybody. If we could have a police officer sitting in the driveway of every home, uh, you know, one per family, one-on-one policing, then we wouldn't have crime. We wouldn't have, at least not in the numbers that we have them. I mean, it would basically be every family would have, also it would be a nanny because you would prevent, you know, the kids from going out and rioting and that kind of thing if, if there were a cop in every home. And I think that's unrealistic expectations. So so the, the, the system isn't working for too many for too long. Um, so this, here she is, this is on CNN New Day. And she says, Allison Camerata has an exchange with her. And this was so interesting. Listen to what this woman says when Allison Camerata asks her a question that I think we have all asked. What if in the middle of the night, my home is broken into? Who do I call? 
Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors and I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. What? So so being able to call the police comes from a place of privilege. So because only privileged people, which is which is dog whistle on the left for white people, because only white people have privilege. No one else does. So white people now have to know, as she said here, to feel what it to feel like what it would be, feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. So in other words, you're not going to be able to call the police. No one gets to call the police. That's what she just said there, if I, you know, because I do have my liberal to sanity decoder ring here. And that's what I got from that. That's the insanity and the insidiousness of defunding the police department, which is what they're doing here. All right. You want to hear more from Lisa Bender? And then I'll, I promise I'll get to your calls. 866-408-7669. Here's Lisa Bender. Again, the Minneapolis City Council president. So it is clear that we need to make major shifts, both in the short term and that our community is ready to reimagine public safety from the ground up, to think holistically, to make sure every single member of our community is safe. What happens if there's a criminal out there with a gun and starts shooting people? Who's going to respond if there's no police force? Look, it is our top priority to keep every single member of our community safe. And if you look back at the last 150 years of our police department, it is becoming increasingly clear that that model of policing isn't working. So we need to invite in our whole community, the nine members of the city council that came from every corner of our city to stand together to make this commitment. We don't have all the answers. And what we committed to was a community process to help reimagine public safety. So in other words, we have no idea. I have no idea. No clue what you're going to do, but don't worry. We're going to call every member. We're going to keep every member of our community safe. That's the promise. And when we're going to make the promise before we even know if that's possible um, and before we even know how we would accomplish that, we have no idea. It's insanity. Have you ever seen what happens when a bunch of liberals try to get together and try to come to a consensus on something? It never happens because this person's offended and that person wishes we wouldn't talk so loud because they've got sensitivity issues and this person feels like they've been, you know, shouted down and so they're not being heard. It's, it is absolute nonsense. I cannot imagine how many people, how many businesses are going to stay in the city of Minneapolis when they want to defund the police. They're already telling them how they can police. They're going to defund the police, but they're not quite sure what they're going to replace it with. We'll figure it out, you know, just trust us. But honestly, whatever we put in place will keep every member of the community safe. And I'm just curious if that includes the holistic safety officers or however they're going to do it holistically. They're going to have to have bodies in charge, people who are willing to get involved. I don't know, like if someone's shooting at you, do you make a phone call, ask the person to please stop shooting, and then there's a mediator who comes over? Maybe you sit down at that time, wherever you happen to be, with the guy with the gun, the guy being shot out, and and a mediator, and you talk it out. Maybe that's exactly how we're going to handle this. 
866-408-7669. We got a lot more on this coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We've been pouring more and more resources. We've been pouring more and more resources into our police forces for 30, 40, 50 years. And we're not any safer than we were before. This is about imagining what a public safety effort looks like that's community-led. That was Elizabeth Jordan from the ACLU of Illinois talking about Chicago, Illinois, and uh, they're talking about defunding the police as well. Big liberal movement going on around our country because, you know, those liberal cities, uh, the Democrat run cities and states have been doing so well. They are just hitting it out of the ballpark when it comes to keeping their residents safe. No violence in Chicago at all. Let's go to Steve in Tampa on WXJB. Hi, Steve. How are you? How are you doing this morning? I'm doing just great. Uh, so this move to fund to defund the police, think it's going to work? Absolutely not. Listen, I'm a retired New York City police officer. I've done crowd control. I've been in several riots. I'm a, I'm, I've spent 30-plus years law enforcement on the front lines, okay? I welcome them to defund the police. Let them defund the police. You will see anarchy. You will see chaos. You will see utter destruction like you have never seen before. The police are our only first civilian line of defense against any and all threats that are out there. The reason why they want to defund the police and go to community-type patrols is because they want to have complete control over these communities, and they don't. these communities don't even understand what will happen. You will have vigilantism all over the place. 
But these communities um, keep electing the same people over and over and over and over again. You've got look at Baltimore, where you have the front runner for the Democrats, which Baltimore hasn't had a Democrat, a Republican in office in, in probably my lifetime. But you have the woman who is the front runner to replace the mayor who was taken out because she has to do some jail time for, for fraud or something with some a book issue. Uh, so she's out. But the person who's the front runner is a previous mayor, also a woman who also was removed from office for some kind of hijinks and shenanigans and, and, and ir, you know, irregularities, as they like to say. So you, you've got you've got nothing but a slew of people who keep getting oh the one who's the front runner was taking money uh, from a children's charity. And and she's the front runner. You know what? You get the government you choose. And if this is what they choose as a community, at some point in time, I stop feeling sorry for them. At some point in time, my bag of caring is empty or it's going to be spent elsewhere. So, Steve, thank you so much. Let's go to Jacob, who is in Illinois. Jacob, good morning. Good morning. So go ahead. This is We were just talking about uh, Illinois. You heard the ACLU of Illinois right there. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't, I think there's a middle ground here that can easily be found. I don't okay. think you should abolish police for sure. Uh, defunding them to a certain degree, I think would be a good idea. I mean, there has to be a way to try to slow down brutality. I mean, it's not fake. It's real. It happens to people all over the place. And, and I don't see why we keep arguing that it's not. Uh, it, it, it just, it blows my mind that at the end of the day, we just keep constantly arguing over people's opinions. When we're in a nation where your opinion is supposed to be free, and we just continuously fight over it, like we don't ever get anything done. Pelosi and Schumer, they're smoking mirrors up there, putting way too much on bills to try to get stuff done. McConnell and the right, they don't care about rights for people other than people of their own um, opinion and their, and their own party. It's absolute nonsense that we keep fighting over this kind of crap. But just very quickly, one quick thing. You said, um, you know, the police brutality, it's a fact. It's happening right and left. It's its all over the place. You know, like it's widespread. What are the numbers? Do you have yeah, any idea? Every you know? officer. I'm sorry? No, I'm not. I, no, I said it's not every officer. Not by not by. No, I know. But you, may, you said it was widespread. It's undeniable that it's widespread. So I'm asking you, what is considered widespread? What are the numbers? Well, you're not going to get exact numbers. I, I have occasions where I've had run-ins with police where they treated me like crap when I was younger. And no, it's not because I was just a bad kid. I just had terrible run-ins with police. Yeah, well, and I'm happens. white. I, I, you know, my mother used to tell my brothers, who are white, by the way, for full disclosure, uh, thank you, Jacob, and, and that's what I don't like. I don't like this, just this widespread statement of fact when we don't know those facts. Well, you'll never know the numbers. Well, because you had several bad run-ins doesn't mean that that's a widespread thing. My brothers, um, when they were kids, you know, my, my mother told them, you're going to be riding around in cars with your buddies doing stupid things because you're teenagers and teenage boys do stupid things. So prepare to be stopped by the police. You may be doing nothing and that's fine. But if you're doing something, then expect, you know, you're, it's going to go further than just being stopped. And she told me, you know, be polite, keep your hands at the steering wheel, the whole bit. Uh, and, and she was absolutely right. My brothers got stopped way more often than I ever did. And when I got stopped, my, 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Encounters with the police were far different than my brother's encounters with the police. So, you know, my brothers could say, oh, it's the, the abuse is widespread because I had some, some run-ins. The odds of my brothers having been doing something dumb at that time in their late teens and early 20s and, and being stopped probably were for the right reason. At least my mother gave them all the deference in the world, thinking, you know, knowing my brothers and their friends when they got together in a group, we're dumb. That's what boys do. They get together in a group. The dumbness expounds exponentially. They get stupider. The more of them there are in a group. Stupider? Uh, Is that a word? They get dumber? Uh, The more of them there are in a group. You know, they don't have a woman around to say, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. So I, I want to, I'm all for a conversation. I said this yesterday, but it has to be an honest conversation. It has to be based on facts. Let's talk numbers. Not, well, police brutality is widespread. Or police abuse is widespread. When we don't know that. And that may be your experience, and that's fine. But it's just like all cops aren't bad. Not everyone's experience is always bad either when it comes to interactions with the police. Coming up, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Most cops risk their lives to protect us, and I really appreciate what our police officers do. And when they run afoul of the law, they need to be dealt with uh, forcefully to protect those who do not run afoul of the law. This whole debate is setting up very well for President Trump because most Americans want to reform the police, not defund them. And almost every American that I know of wants to be able to pick up the phone and have somebody come help them if they're threatened by criminality. Senator Lindsey Graham uh, on this story and talking about defunding the police versus reforming the police. To get into that with us, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, former congressman from Florida. Uh, and he's the author of a new book, We Can Overcome an American Black Conservative Manifesto. Find him on Twitter, at Alan West. That's an easy one. Two L's. And he's running for the Texas GOP chair. A lot going on. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, thank you for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to get to speak with you. It is always a pleasure, Mary. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I have to start out by asking, how are you feeling? I saw the story about the motorcycle accident. I'm like, and I saw yeah. you were in, got it, helicoptered out. I'm like, oh, my, I was praying for you. I felt so horribly for you and the other person involved in that, that, that accident. Motorcycles, to me, are so scary. Um, are you okay? What's going on? Are you right? Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a walking miracle. I mean, no one survives a motorcycle crash at 75 miles per hour. And yeah. uh, just yesterday I had uh, my surgery on my shoulder because I did fracture my sh- right shoulder socket bone and had some cartilage uh, issues. So that's all taken care of. 
So uh, I'm in a nice little surgical sling here and uh, just happy to be with you all, happy to be alive and ready to get, you know, get on with the fight for this great nation. All right. I'm going to I'm going to send you a private message on Twitter because I had shoulder surgery and you need that ice pack that'll help you that polar pack thing. Oh, yeah. Do you have that? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. All right. Then I'm not going to tell you about it. That is the best thing ever because shoulder surgery, I don't know if if you've never had shoulder surgery, you have no idea how painful it is because every time you move, your shoulder moves. It's amazing how much your shoulder moves and you don't even realize it. So you're absolutely right. But I had a good night's rest last night, so it's all good. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that the drugs are working. <laughs> All right. So you heard you heard Lindsey Graham there, Senator Lindsey Graham, saying yes. that most Americans want to reform the police. They don't want to fund them. They want to be able to pick up the phone and have someone come if they're threatened by some kind of criminality. You know, so how many how many small business owners in these inner cities picked up the phone to call the police and the police are like, sorry, can't be everywhere. Uh, so they understand what it's like to have that feeling. Why? What is going on here with this this race to automatically just defund the police? Well, it's just a continuation of the desire for anarchy and for the left to be able to impose their Marxist vision on the United States of America. We saw it when they said they wanted to defund ICE. Uh, because they don't want us to be able to control uh, the immigration policies here in the United States of America. They just think America is a piece of terrain in between Mexico and Canada, and anyone should be able to come here. And now they want us to have lawlessness, complete lawlessness on our streets. And then they will be the ones that will define what safety and security is, of course, based upon their ideological agenda. So just imagine if you are a a law-abiding, honest citizen that lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and now you just know that your city council voted veto-proof to disband the police force. And then on top of that, think about it, Mary, that you always hear the left saying uh, the Second Amendment should be uh, you know, eradicated. We need to undermine the Second Amendment. So not only do they want to remove their responsibility, the government's responsibility for safety and security, they don't want you to have the ability to secure yourself. Exactly. So, but yet, and I just had this conversation with the caller. Here's the thing. The people in those communities keep voting for the same people and the same things over and over and over again for 50 years. When was the last time there was a Republican in charge of Chicago or, or Detroit or Minneapolis or most of these inner New York City? I mean, you know, we had Rudy, there was Rudy in there. But when was the last time that they, they, they voted something different? They keep voting for the same people. So you can't be surprised that this is what they get. Well, that's true, and that's uh, what Albert Einstein says, the pure definition of insanity, to continue to do the exact same thing and think you're going to get diff- different results. But I really believe that you're going to, you're, you're seeing a tipping point. I, I think that people are going to finally realize that you're right. For the past 50 to 60 years, you know, there's been one party rule in all of the major urban population centers in the United States of America. And look at the failures. If you want to talk about failure of leftist policies, all you have to do is look at these inner cities. And it's so amazing to me that the Democrat Party, they're the first ones to try to point the finger at at someone else. But yet all they have to do is look at themselves and see their failures. But, you know, now it's going to be a great time for us to highlight these things and to highlight exactly uh, who they are using their own words and using their own actions. But it is incumbent upon the American people 
to make that tough decision. Do they want to continue down this path? Do they want to see more riots and violence? Do they want to have people say looting is not violence? And, you know, when you have these organizations like Antifa and Black Lives Matter, who are political organizations, and really it's the mob. And I don't think we want to see the mob rule in America. No, we, we don't, obviously. But, but you know, I look at the, the latest polls and they show that over 80 percent of African-Americans support Joe Biden. Over 80 percent. It doesn't matter about the crime bill, all of that. It goes in one ear and out the other or they don't care or they just I've always voted Democrat. So that's what I'm going to do. I, I don't understand why that number is what it is right now. Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm running to be the chairman for the Republican Party here in Texas, because we've got to do a better job at messaging. We have to do a better job of telling the history of the Republican Party as opposed to the Democrat Party, because, you know, the Democrats have now created a 21st century economic plantation. That's what you see these urban centers uh, being and and the crop that they harvest now are votes. So we have to finally get people to understand that, you know, black lives matter, but the Democrats define it as certain black lives, black lives that can be politicized to matter to them. You know, look at the comparison between the response and reaction to George Floyd as opposed to David Dorn. Uh, David mm-hmm. Dorn was the retired police captain who was shot and killed, bled out yes. On, yes. On, on camera, just going to, uh, you know, check a friend's small business. He was shot by a looter. And so I think now we're on the fourth uh, funeral for George Floyd. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but why don't we have the same reaction and response to the mm-hmm. death of David Dorn? So I think that slowly but surely the scales are going to fall off the eyes of the uh, American black community. That's the reason why I wrote the book that I wrote, to, uh, to get this message going and get them to understand you do not have to blindly follow the Democrat Party, who has been the greatest purveyors of systemic racism in the history of the United States of America. Yeah, well, I I, I hope that that happens soon because uh, I fear for this next election, but that is an entirely different conversation. Uh, one of the things that they did, just to go to show the ignorance with these riots and these people behind these riots who were perpetrating these riots, in Boston, the Robert Gould Shaw yeah. and the 54th Regiment Memorial was one of 16 public artworks that were damaged when they when they swarmed Boston Common on Sunday night. The Robert Gould Shaw and 54th Regiment Memorial actually honors the uh, the um, group of African-American soldiers who fought in the Civil War. It was the basis for the movie Glory. Yeah. And it was just granted um, uh, clearance last week. And it was $3 million, It's going to take a $3 million, It was getting a $3 million restoration project. But they just destroyed it with the with this graffiti and everything. They, th- there is no sense whatsoever. So it makes me question their their movement. And I don't understand why African-Americans don't stand back and question this as well. Well, I, I am. Uh, I find it offensive and condescending. You know, as a career military officer and, you know, being the third or four generations of military servicemen, combat veterans in my family, you know, the 54th Massachusetts, that's where it all began for us. These were the first black men to, to wear the uniform of the United States of America and fight to defend uh, this great nation. Uh, and that movie, Glory, I, I still get tears in my eyes when I watch yeah, that movie. movie. And, and think about it. I mean, Denzel Washington got an Academy Award for his uh, acting in that movie. Either these people are so ignorant, they don't know history, or they are just that stupid. And I think it's a, a combination of both. But everyone should be angered for the fact that they destroyed 
that incredible monument to the 54th Massachusetts Regiment. And I think that right now, this weekend, that movie Glory should be played all over the United States of America on every single television to, to remind people of what they did, uh, those men who lost their lives uh, almost to a man at Fort Wagner, South Carolina. Yeah, and they, they also they also defaced the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. There's There's just no sense here. Well, there's not, and this is why I'm saying this has nothing to do with 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 you know social justice. It has everything to do with a a hatred of the United States of America, everything that America stands for, and undermining this constitutional republic, its traditions, its history, everything. Before I run out of time with you, how how do you feel? What what did you think when you saw the um, you saw members of our Capitol Police force, member National Guard, uh, police officers across the country taking a knee in front of these protesters and and kneeling there where these protesters kind of like stand over them and take pictures of them uh, is, is almost a way to, you know, I, I don't know, supplicate themselves to the, to the masses. Were you okay with that? No, I was not. And I remember seeing the picture of a police chief who, you know, prostrated himself, you know, face down. Yes. Uh, that, that to me is, it's unconstable. That's all I can say. Uh, and then it's unnecessary. And what that really does, it gives the, the protesters, these rioters, these anarchists, the photo op that they need. And we should not allow uh, our law enforcement, we should not allow government officials to be propagandized like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was terrible. And it allowed it, to, you're right, propagandized. Exactly. That just, that just to me was untenable. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, thank you so much for joining us. Heal quickly. I hope you're not in a lot of pain. Please be a good patient. Do what the doctor tells you. <laughs> Don't push it. And I, I am so grateful for you and the other motorcyclists um, healing and coming out of this alive, if nothing else. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. You have a great week. Thank you. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at, at Alan West. The book is We Can Overcome, an American Black Conservative Manifesto. I'll get your calls coming up here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think we have to put things in perspective. Obviously, when police use excessive force, they have to be held accountable. And right here, both the state and federal government zoomed in and immediately took up the matter. There's no question. It's, it's an issue and has to be dealt with. But in terms of sheer numbers, is it is it these police officers who are oppressing African-American communities? There are a lot more damage, a lot more killing, uh, a lot more fear engendered on the streets from criminal elements. In Chicago, for example, in one, e- uh, one weekend, you know, 60, 70 people shot. Uh, if you pull back the police for these communities, there'll be, uh, there'll be more harm done to these communities. That's the Attorney General Bill Barr speaking with Brett Baer yesterday. And no one, did you ever notice the the killings in Chicago, which are almost all universally, universally um, African-Americans, being shot by other African-Americans? Nobody's protesting for their lives. Nobody cares about their lives. How come? How come their lives don't matter? 
where they never get any kind of play. And it's been going on for years in Chicago. So Chicago comes up and what's their solution? Well, we're going to defund the police. There you go. That's the solution right there. It's lunacy. 866-408-7669 in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Scott, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Uh, well, I was listening to you talk to the other young man earlier where you kept asking, you know, where's the statistics and where's the statistics? And the bottom line is, is that I get that the statistics don't show that cops kill more black men than white men. We get that. But from a guy that came from a predominantly black neighborhood, I will mm-hmm. say the problem lies with those who don't believe that there's not racial, racial profiling going on. And then on top of that, police brutality that never get reported in the statistics. And that's the problem. The problem is, is that just because a man is black, when he gets pulled over, he's thinking, oh, man, what's going to happen? When a guy like myself, a a white man gets pulled over, it's what the hell did he pull me over for? I mean, it's two different mindsets when this happens. And I've seen it time and time again. And I think that's the problem of of, of us white privilege, including myself, right? Hold on. Let, let, let me just let me just me let me just take this piece by piece. According to the Wall Street Journal, uh, blacks commit crimes at seven to ten times the rate that whites do. They committed fifty-two percent of homicides between 20, 1980 and two thousand eight, despite being just thirteen percent of the population. So it would just make sense that you probably would be looking uh, at that a little bit more, right? And like, if you're looking for Matt, you probably look at the white guy without teeth. Yes, you're probably going to stop the white guy who's driving the truck with the smoke coming out of the back or in a neighborhood where you know there's a lot of meth. If he doesn't have his blinker on, you're stopping that guy because he's in the right neighborhood. He's the right race to be trafficking in meth. And again, I know you do. I know we're not allowed to profile. I get it. But I think there's a certain amount of of just being sensible or or just being aware how's that just being aware that makes you say huh maybe i should stop that guy and prevent some school kid from getting you know a truckload full of meth sure no 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 i i agree with it to to some extent i wish it was that cut and dry but at the end of the day we all know that it's just not that or maybe you don't I, i don't know it's just not that cut and dry in some of these neighborhoods. It, in some of the neighborhoods, I agree. But what's going on in those neighborhoods for it to be not as cut and dry? Is it racism? Let's find out and let's look at the numbers in those neighborhoods, whether it's racism. If it's like Chicago, where you have in one day, you'll have 23 people shot. But because they weren't all shot in, by one shooter, nobody pays attention to it. And that's been going on for years. And that in itself is criminal, that no one's looking at it. None of those leaders in Chicago have done anything about it nothing well Why? that's that that that's i think that's a different conversation that to, to be had because here's the bottom line if you stop the pond that's where you're going to fish right yeah you're right yeah. But but we have to yeah. look again. I, I want to have an honest conversation. These are these are Bureau of Justice statistics across the same time frame where blacks committed 52 percent of homicides, despite being 13 percent of the population. Whites committed 45 percent of homicides while composing 77 percent of the population. So I don't know if just going to racism as a knee-jerk reaction saying, oh, it's racism. That's an easy answer to the problem, but I don't think the problem's an easy problem to solve. I think there's a lot more to it than the surface conversation we're having and the surface conversation that's being had in the media across the country. 
there's more to it. We need to dig deeper down into it and put those facts out there. They may hurt some people's feelings, right? Some people's and their beliefs may be blown out of the water. And that, but I think that needs to be done. I don't care which side, and I don't think there should be sides in this. I'm not on a side when it comes to this. I want people to be safe. I want, I want everyone to be equal under the law. That's what we're promised, right? That everyone's equal under the law. I think everyone should get equal protection. The fact that people in Chicago don't get that protection to me is criminal. They should, but they're not. But I don't think that's about racism because the people who are making those decisions in Chicago, a lot of them are quote unquote of color. So it's a big problem. It's very, very deep and it deserves to be explored more. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. Yes. in sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade and so excited to be able to do that a lot to discuss during the show today. Uh, let's go to first, though, to Bob Barr, former congressman from Georgia, former CIA analyst, currently the president of the Law Enforcement Education Foundation. He was the U.S. attorney from the Northern District of Georgia from uh, 86 to 90. And he put an interesting uh, article out called The FBI Takes a Knee Before Protesters. And this was something that I almost fell over when I saw. Bob Barr, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning, Mary. Great to be with you. I'm so glad you wrote this piece, uh, The FBI Takes a Knee Before Protesters. I, I have been dismayed. I think it's the wrong thing to do when I saw police officers doing this, when I saw um, when I saw there was one police uh, captain in Massachusetts who was on his face with his hands behind his back, uh, you know, a la George Floyd, while people took pictures of him and they, you know, other protesters laid on the ground in the same way while they were, you know, yelling, I can't breathe and that kind of thing. What does this accomplish? Why are they doing this? Uh, for law enforcement, it accomplishes nothing positive, Mary. Uh, for those who are out to uh, unravel the institutions of our government, to humiliate uh, our law enforcement, uh, and to further this defund movement, it does an awful lot because it telegraphs to the people and to others who are against our, our institutions that they are in charge and not the police. As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that started this whole process with uh, anti-police were police officers a year or so ago. You probably remember also in New York City and some other cities, police officers allowed themselves to be doused with water by groups of young men, and they did nothing. Uh, that started yes. the process, I think, of telegraphing to these uh, to these thugs, these Antifa groups, and the others that are prone to, to violence, that they can push the police around and there will be no repercussions. 
Yeah, and, and I do think there was a fine line because people will say, well, you know, the cops work for us. It says to protect and serve. And so they work for us. And I think that you hear that more so now. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that view that the police do work for us. Uh, they are, you know, their job is to protect and serve. But I do think that there has also been a growing disrespect for the police that um, I guess that's what it is. It's a growing disrespect for the police. Where does that come from? It comes from a couple of things. One, I think it's a, it's a cultural movement uh, in which uh, we have uh, now a couple of generations of young people who are many of whom uh, grow up without an authority figure in their home. They come from split families with no father figure. I think that uh, plays into this. Part of it, I think, is the cultural movement that we see with entertainment, demonizing police uh, constantly. Uh, the police have to bear some of the blame for it, though, I have to say, because uh, police training has suffered in recent years, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the officer in Minneapolis, Chauvin, uh, did what he did. Uh, he, lack of uh, lack of police, lack of empathy on the part of police, this notion that the police have become militarized. It's important for the police to have authority and to be clothed with authority. But if you abuse that authority, then you're leaving yourself open for some of what we've seen happen. But there is no excuse for police, especially the FBI, prostrating themselves, kowtowing, bowing down before these people. That sends the entirely wrong message to our society. Okay, so when you say um, you think there's been a problem in in the training of the police, what has changed that has made it a pro- that you think there's a, a problem that maybe could be addressed through retraining or different training? Two things, I think. One is uh, funding. Police are not putting the funding into good training programs that they used to. They're putting, I think, and I've seen too much of their money going to technology and militarized equipment and this whiz-bang equipment rather than in basic police training, basic policing. Secondly, are lawsuits that have been brought against police departments, many of them by the Obama administration, Department of Justice, uh, that makes the police hesitant to act uh, if they know that they are their department is under a so-called consent decree there's going to be the government and outside authorities looking over their shoulders second-guessing them that makes the police uh, less hesitant uh, and the lawsuits have, uh, have been a killer for police yeah, and I, well, I mean, lawsuits, I, I think we need um, tort reform all across the board. You see the same thing in, for instance, the medical profession, because they're afraid of a lawsuit. They do they do tons of tests that they know the, the patient probably doesn't even need, but they do it because they're afraid of a lawyer telling them, you should have done this, should something go wrong, or they don't do things because, again, they're afraid of a lawsuit. So so that I, I totally understand. And, you know, you see the Democrats wanting to remove immunity uh, from the police in some instances for for these lawsuits are they personal lawsuits of which they're that that they're talking about that they're immune from personal lawsuits uh, it, uh, it's both personal lawsuits and lawsuits by the Department of Justice uh, in which they, they attack a whole department. But uh, the issue of lawsuits is a very complicated one, Mayor. I think you're right to bring it up. Uh, when the legislation that was introduced in the House yesterday uh, would make it a little bit easier, lower the standard a little bit uh, with regard to federal, uh, law, federal officials, uh, federal law enforcement, uh, and grants to 
police so that uh, police police should not be immune from lawsuits. Uh, but uh, the standard uh, needs to uh, needs to be addressed. Uh, so that is part of the problem. There's not an easy answer to it. But I think we also have to realize and make our police officers realize that whatever their personal view is, even if they agree with the protesters, even if they don't like President Trump, for example, that is to have nothing to do with how they behave when they don that uniform. And that's what's been particularly problematic, I think, about the FBI in recent years, uh, is they become very, very politicized and they allow they're allowing their personal views to interfere with their judgment we've seen that in the uh, the russian investigation going against trump and i think that may be what we're seeing in some of these uh, fbi agents taking a knee they may sympathize with the protesters and take a knee that's not their job they're not supposed to allow that to interfere with their personal work i mean with their professional work Right. And you also saw it with what happened with the investigations in the FBI into President Trump. And you had it looked like a group, a a small group of people uh, who took it upon themselves to basically overturn the results of the election since they didn't like the outcome of the election. And so you you see these text messages and these attempts and the the uh, ginned up charges against uh, against Michael Flynn and and on and on and everything that they did to the president and Carter Page. And so far, no one's answering for any of this. So far, they just get gigs on TV as commentators. Um, when did this start, though? Did This just didn't start out of the blue with the arrival of President Trump, did it? Part of it is, no, it didn't, Mary. Part of it is institutionalized, uh, uh, institutionalized protection and lack of accountability. I noticed, for example, way back in uh, 1995, when I participated in the uh, the Waco hearings, uh, we had uh, uh, FBI agents who clearly had violated laws, uh, who had uh, violated ethics, uh, and not one of them, not one of the federal agents that engaged in that debacle at Waco was disciplined. And we see it in local police departments also. When an officer does something wrong, there's a, a pronounced tendency for the department and the chief of that department to come together and defend the uh, police officer, even though they know he's done something wrong. That's part of the problem. And whether this goes to the police unions protecting their own or whether it goes to leadership protecting the officers, police departments need to make sure that their officers are accountable when they do something wrong. Otherwise, that will translate into lack of respect for the police. Yeah, I also think, though, that it's institutionalized across politics, period. Um, you know, if, if you if a governor, you know, you see these lawsuits with the governors in New Jersey and um I think it's uh, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, where where they're keeping the states locked down forever and ever, and they're picking winners and losers. And you see these lawsuits where they sue the state attorney general and and the governor and all these other people, but the taxpayers pay for their defense. And if there's any kind of settlement, taxpayers pay for it. There's no uh, personal accountability. So I, I just think that that's something that you see all across um, government service. If you're in the government, this is just one of those perks that you get that you're just not held. I accountable. So to see it spread into the FBI doesn't really surprise me. It should, but it, it really doesn't. How do you turn that around? How do you take that perk away? 
It's very difficult because it's been with us, Mary, since, really since our nation started. Uh, this notion of sovereign immunity, uh, which was brought over from uh, the British system where the sovereign, the crown, could do no wrong. And it's been a part of our legal system uh, supported by the Supreme Court uh, for generations now. And we need to change that. Uh, it can be changed uh, by legislation, both at the states and the federal level, to say, okay, officers and uh, officials in the government, whether they're law enforcement or not, they have only very limited immunity. If they do something that is clearly wrong, uh, that is clearly an abuse of power, that is uh, grossly negligent, they will be held accountable. Uh, it's going to take uh, some real leadership at the federal and the state level to change this notion of sovereign immunity, but we need to do it if, in fact, the people are going to regain control of this country and take it away from uh, the government bureaucrats. Last question. Um, if if you hear this call all across the country of people saying we have to do something, we have to reform the police department, the police department needs to be reformed across the country. What is the one thing that you think could be done as far as reform that would have the greatest impact? I think uh, putting more and serious money into much better police training uh, and putting money into funding the police and police salaries so that they are able to obtain and retain a good, solid quality of officer. Many police departments nowadays uh, are losing officers, and this is going to accelerate with this defund the police movement, which will make matters worse because the quality of the officer is going to decrease. Yeah. And, and and we need professionals. We need people who have been there, not politicians, deciding these changes that need to be made, because it's it's like when they when they defund, you know, or, or they legislate what's how doctors are going to do their jobs or nurses are going to do their jobs. They don't do those jobs. We should have people who have done them, who are respected in those fields, being the ones guiding this process. Bob Barr, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciated the articles. The FBI takes a knee before protesters. If you would like to check it out. Fantastic. Fantastic to have a great day. Thank you, Mary. All right. Your calls. What do you think? 866-408-7669. Taking a knee before the protesters. Was that the right thing to do? I think some people do think it was the right thing to do. It kind of made me cringe a little bit. Look at your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I can tell you, um, having been a prosecutor, that when you have a guy who thinks he's Jesus and a knife in his hand and he's naked running down the street, you don't need to call a a, a mental health counselor. You need to call the police. And if I heard him right, uh, he, he, he mentioned domestic violence as an area where we don't need the police. Martha, that is the most dangerous cop call that cops go on. And I'm in a state that leads the country in men killing women. So, no, we don't need counseling. We need the cops to come arrest the perpetrator and take him to jail so she has a chance to live. So when I hear defund the police, who in the world is going to do the jobs that police do now? Who's going to process crime scenes? Who's going to arrest people? 
Yeah, Trey Gowdy there on the story with Martha McCallum talking about you know, defunding the police. I just have this mental image of Marianne Williamson, like an, an entire army of Marianne Williamson's with their crystals that will be deployed across the country to help heal people's, people's auras. <laughs> you know, because that's the problem. You have a dark aura. We need to lighten it up. He's right. Uh, domestics are the most dangerous call a, a cop can go on because of the emotion involved in it. It's there are people are emotions are very high. And that's when you hear a lot of times of, of police officers getting shot when they get called to uh, a domestic. Let's head out to Denver. Wayne. Good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm doing just great. So what do you think about this push to defund the police? Great idea, right? You know, I- yeah, listen. I, I've been a chiropractor for 33 years, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, trained to do what I do. And if I step outside the bounds of what I'm trained to do, I'm culpable and accountable. And I think just every profession should be held to the same standard. You know what I'm saying? It's no mm-hmm. different if you're a police officer. I like a couple of your callers. Um, they said the answer to these is first of all, defunding is, I think, horrible. I have friends that are police officers. I used to practice in New York City. I had friends in the New York City police force. And a lot of them are taking second, third jobs just to make ends meet. So, you know, defunding them, I think, is a horrible idea. I think the money um, should be spent on making sure that they're trained correctly. And if they're trained correctly and they act within the scope of what they're supposed to do, you know, they they should be fine. Um, I know if I step outside, like I said, the lines of, of, of my practice, the scope of my practice, I, I'm accountable, culpable, and I should be. So I think the same thing should apply towards, I think, any profession and our police officers as well. I, I agree. I could not agree with you more. Uh, thank you, Wayne. I wanted to apply to our politicians as well, because a lot of these politicians uh, commit malpractice. As far you know, they don't serve their people and they harm their constituents. You saw a lot of it during the lockdown where people were just randomly ripped of their right to make a living. And with no rhyme or reason, it was very random. It was, you know, okay, big box, you're safe in a big box store, you're safe in a grocery store, but you're not safe in the bodega down the street. You're not safe in the bakery. Where I live, there's a strip mall, and there's a liquor store, and right next to the liquor store is the bakery, and right next to that is the Chinese food place. They're not really much bigger than each other. The liquor store is bigger, but it's so crammed with stuff that you can't socially distance at all. It's really crammed in there. It's little. It's, it's just a little thing. The liquor store we could be safe in. Why? Because you can buy lottery tickets in the liquor store, right? The state makes money. So I could be safe in the liquor store, but I would be unsafe in the bakery next door, which has more open space in it to stand in. And people, you could stand outside. So it was just so random. But yet the governor of the state, if he is sued and he's being sued, he won't be held liable. He'll have a a taxpayer-funded attorney to defend him. And if there's any kind of settlement from the state, me and my fellow taxpayers are going to pay for it, not him. So there is no negative for our politicians when they do something wrong and or egregious or say, oh, the Bill of Rights is above my pay grade, there is no recourse for taxpayers. So I'm all for holding police accountable, lawsuits, the whole bit for every profession, including politicians, though. It's got to include them. Very quickly, got one minute here. Carl in Iowa. Carl, good morning. Good morning. Chris, I was calling to talk about uh, police being held accountable. I've heard for days about how the unions are the ones that stop that. Why don't we get rid of the impatient unions then? 
Yeah, it may be the police. You know, that's a great thought. Nobody brought up the police unions, Carl. You may actually be right. It's probably the police unions that are that are stopping that. And you're right. Unions in general, they protect bad teachers. They protect bad, um, bad workers and uh, bad cops. I that is a phenomenal point, Carl. Maybe we need to look at that. And I can't believe that Democrats are floating this with the unions. Interesting. More coming up. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think given the uncertainty involved... Uh, and the very uh, fast pace of the infection, especially in certain areas, the original 30-day or so, or, and even maybe with some extensions, uh, measures uh, were appropriate. But I think uh, that as time has gone by, uh, the degree of impingement on fundamental liberties uh, has never been anything like this in the United States. Nationally, forbidding people from engaging in their livelihood uh, telling them to stay home uh, is just sort of a form of house arrest in many places. As the Attorney General Bill Barr on special report with Brett Baer, please, I, I would love to see them. I thought they were going to start cracking down on these states that were impinging on people's fundamental liberties, but apparently not since I still live in a state that it's been locked down still. One of the two states in the country, you can't get a haircut. I'm very lucky to, to live here with a dictator as a, a governor. Um, if you hear my cries, Mr. Attorney General, please free the people of New Jersey. I, it's the reason we're bringing this up is is I know we've been talking about policing and, and, and every all the focus has been on the rioting and, and police reform nationally. But it was a mere two weeks ago, we were all obsessed with coronavirus until the protesting and rioting, in which case it was allowed to happen without social distancing and or masks because it was for the greater good or it was a higher calling, whatever, for whatever reason, coronavirus doesn't live among protesters or riots. I, I did not know that, but I'm learning it doesn't live in a lot of places and is more likely to live in others. And um, now the World Health Organization, who I trust as far as I can throw them, came out yesterday and said, this is Dr. Maria Van Kerkhova in Geneva, Switzerland. Listen to what she has to say. It still appears to be rare that an asymptomatic individual actually transmits onward. What we really want to be focused on are, is following the symptomatic cases. If we followed all of the symptomatic cases, because we know that this is a respiratory pathogen, it passes from an individual through infectious droplets. If we actually followed all of the symptomatic cases, isolated those cases, followed the contacts and quarantined those contacts, we would drastically reduce. So now, remember, do you remember, it was probably like, what, three months ago, two months ago, I'm losing track of time, when we were told that there, you could have the virus because we know over 80% of people have little to no, few to no symptoms, right? Few to no symptoms. You could have had it and not even known you had it. My, from what I understand, pretty much every college student tests positive for the antibodies for coronavirus and that none of them had symptoms. None of them knew they were sick, which is great. That's what you want, right? You want the younger, pop, younger population to get it, which is that they build up the antibodies and then they can donate plasma and, and on and on. Anyway, 
But remember, we were told that you have to stay in your home and only go out for essentials because people could have the virus and not know they have it. And that's why we all have to wear masks, because if you have the virus, even if you don't have any symptoms, you could cough over in produce and someone over in, you know, the chocolate chip cookie aisle, four aisles away, could get the infection and die. So you have to wear the mask because you could kill people. Don't you remember the, the you know, morally superior people wagging their fingers at you? Why do you want people to die? If it's worth saving just one life, then you should wear a mask. And I'd ask him, so what about that just one life for abortion thing? Can we bring that into play now? Or is this a bad time? Um, so, so remember all that? Well, now they say, well, that whole asymptom, if you don't have symptoms, transferring the, the, the virus, even if you test positive for it, but you have no symptoms, very rare. Very rare. So had we done what Japan did, had we done what Sweden did and just locked down the seniors who we know were much more likely to get the virus and had we lo- and not put sick people into the nursing homes, thank you, Governor Cuomo and Governor Murphy, if we had not done that, we would have had fewer deaths in nursing homes, would have saved lives. But if we had locked down the seniors and the sick like they did in Japan and Sweden. We wouldn't have crashed our economy. We officially entered a recession on Friday. So I ask you, was it worth it? Was it worth it? 866-408-7669. We officially entered a recession on Friday. We broke the longest recovery in history. By shutting down the economy because of coronavirus, and then, of course, we'll have the effects of the rioting coming up as well, because, you know, all those blue states are going to have their hands out saying, you know, oh, now you have to fix my state. I need money because of the riots. And um, you're going to see, a, you know, fourth coronavirus relief package. So in your estimation, was all of this worth it? Let's go to uh, Charlie in Daytona Beach on WDBO. Charlie, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Mary. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I listen to Brian all the time, but I love it when you're on. Thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it was it was a very expensive lesson. I think it's quarter. You know, it's kind of like Monday morning quarterback to say, "Oh, yeah, well, we really messed up." I probably thought that it was a little extensive, um, but you know, here we are now. You know, it, it, it's what do we do now? What do we do to make it positive instead of? you know, reflecting on what we did do and, and how much damage it's done. Obviously, it, it's devastating, but, you know, I think we should focus now on what we do on repairing the country and, you know. Yeah, I, well, that's the only option we have, obviously. But I have to say, when you say it was Monday morning quarterbacking, there were signs and symptoms of this very early on that it didn't need to be shut down because we knew China was lying. We knew that. And if you had spoke, if we had the ability to speak to some of these medical professionals who said, you know, you in a quarantine, you quarantine those most likely to be affected by the virus. We knew that was the elderly. We knew that long ago that it was primarily the elderly. We knew in March that 80% of people who were infected had few to no symptoms and would be fine with this. We knew that it was the, that the, the um, comorbidities were obesity, uh, diabetes, and hypertension. So we knew that if you didn't have those three comorbidities and you were otherwise healthy, that you probably didn't need, you didn't need to, to, to be quarantined. 
And we, we also moved the goalposts. We went from, we have to flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm our hospitals to, well, we flattened the curve, but we can't take a chance just yet. And we kept continuing it on and on and on and further and further and further and longer and longer and longer. Had we just flattened the curve, we probably would not have crashed our economy. So I, I just think there are a lot of things here that were, we were told one thing and we did something else and the, and the goalposts were moved. You know, being in New Jersey, I've got Governor Murphy saying that um, we can't open up 100% until there's a vaccine. I'm like, wait, what? When did we go from flattening the curve, which we did in April, to now we need a vaccine? I can't get my hair cut till we need a vaccine. Do you have any idea? My eyebrows are a mess right now. He does not understand. But I make fun of it. But you can't do this to people. 866-408-7669. Uh, Aaron in Joplin, Missouri on KZRG. Hey, Aaron, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. So was it worth it to you? Now, to our last caller, it wasn't. He said, look, you know, we, we, you know, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. I totally understand that opinion. Um, would you have done this if you were in charge, I guess is a great question. No, I wouldn't. I definitely would not listen to Dr. Burks and Fauci anymore. They've been wrong on every front, listening to those, these stupid models that are wrong. I mean, and they're contributing all these other deaths to coronavirus just because they had the virus and died of other ailments. I mean, it's, it's a good getting point. a little ridiculous. I think everyone's onto the scam. That's why they're out protesting. They, they know they're not going to die this boogeyman virus that only seems to kill the elderly. And I don't know. It's just my opinion. No, and that's all I want is your opinion. And we can, you know, I may push back a little bit on you, um, but I may ask you questions about your opinion. But um, yeah, I, I I agree. You know, Doctor Fauci, Doctor Bert. Fauci and Dr. Burks were being lauded, but yet there were a lot of things that were wrong. Where were they getting their information from? From the World Health Organization, which is worth the paper it's written on. And yet President Trump, I think, was in a hard place because if he didn't shut everything down and he didn't, he listened to to the to the experts. But if he hadn't listened to the experts, um, you know what would have happened, right? Especially if he was wrong. It turns out that President Trump probably was right on a lot of this. And, um, you know, at least he can now say, yeah, called it. But it doesn't matter because that that's a ship has already sailed. Now they're gonna now they're gonna go after him, and the media is gonna you know memory hole ever criticizing him, and um, we'll we'll just move on, right? And now he's a bad person because the economy crashed. Uh, at least everything else, the death rates for everything else, and like New York City, like heart disease and everything, no one seems to be dying of that anymore. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, that that's that is a great point. Thank you so much, Aaron. And and yeah, the 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 um. Fluffing of the numbers of the dead, uh, I, I, I think, will make it impossible for us to ever really know the true numbers because of, in, in several states, including New York and New Jersey being the biggest offenders, just lumping in people who they think died of coronavirus. You know, George Floyd tested positive post-mortem for coronavirus. In New York, now probably not him, but uh, in, in New York and New Jersey, could he t- could that be on his death certificate? That's a question. And um, that's sad that that's a question that someone who dies of of something, you know, could be a heart attack, would we would be uh, counted in there. I'll get more of your calls on this coming up. Just your opinion. Now that you know that the World Health Organization, again, don't trust them. So take it with a grain of salt is saying those asymptomatic people, over 80 percent of people who get the virus, really no need for them to wear a mask because we don't think they can transmit the virus. I'll get your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We also have evidence of it here now in the United States. I'm going to give you evidence I talked about last week. We've had these protests for about a week now. And most times, COVID-19 spreads within the first week. Most times. Well, let me tell you, we still have a flat curve here in the United States. Tucker, on June 6th, we had 23,000 cases. On June 7th, yesterday, we had 18,500 cases. We're not seeing the spike that could have occurred when the lockdowns were violated by people protesting. And that was Dr. Mark Siegel. You could tell from the voice. We recognize that voice uh, speaking with Tucker Carlson. Remember, um, we didn't see uh, a spike after Memorial Day when all those people were at the Lake of the Ozarks. And we kept hearing, oh, there's going to be, you know, blood in the streets after this. There are gonna, people are going to be dying by the thousands. You watch what happens. There was all the tutting and, and it didn't happen. So why don't we learn from that? Why do we continue to lock down and continue opening phases when we learned that there wasn't, there weren't spikes? Let's go to Dave in Bergen County, New Jersey, listening on WABC. Hey, Dave. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. So, would you, if you know, not knowing anything, like just just what we had in the beginning, would you have locked down? Was it worth it, crashing the economy? I mean. You know, knowing what what we know now and uh, and as things are coming out and as we see that things were not as serious or, you know, as uh, as as they said they were, I mean, you know, just uh, looking at the balance between whether it was going to hurt people or whether it was going to kill people and, and, you know, what those differences were. I mean, there 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 are people that were affected, like myself, who, you know, was a small business owner. And, uh, you know, these effects are, are not are not they're not nothing. You know, people sitting and saying, well. You know, there are things that, uh, you know, we should just move on and we shouldn't worry about who's responsible. Well, what about people who lost their livelihoods? I mean, I have, mm-hmm. I'm in the food service business and my, my business is, is, is shut down possibly permanently. Um, you know, I rely on organizations and schools and institutions that are, that have been closed for three and a half months and that are going to be closed for another four months and maybe even more. Uh, and, you know, I, I have a family to support too. Uh, I have, I don't have a way to pay my bills that, you know, other than, than my business which is gone now. And uh, I think people, people who sit and say, well, let's just worry about, you know, they took, they did the right thing that they're being tone deaf to, to people that don't have jobs that they can sit and work from home in a, in a comfortable room and get paid for. Exactly. I, I took umbrage with people and I know a couple of them and I, I, I just finally had to say something who were saying about, oh, how this is worth it. Why do you want people to die in there? You know, very, very, you know, superior to me, morally superior, taking the moral high ground. And I said, that's awesome. You know what? You don't work or you work from home or you're retired, uh, depending on the case. I said, it's super easy for you to say that. But there are a lot of people right now who can't pay their mortgage or are paying rent on a building that they're not allowed to go into. How do they continue to pay their bills? You have no dog in this fight. You need to be quiet. 
because it was just really starting to bug me and I try not to be that way. But, you know, someone like you who's lost everything, where do you go to get some relief? Did you get anything from like PPP or something like that? Not really. And, uh, you know, just because of my, my own personal situation, but, you know, even even so that it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have helped that much right, right. Um, but you know i don't know I, I sit every day trying to figure out what my next move is and what my next plan is but you know i think i think people have to realize that this has to be figured out not not in a few months this has to be figured out now i mean if there i, I need to go back to work tomorrow not not in three months from now and uh i, I think you know people just don't get how how dire this situation is and i'm i'm i have three little kids and i'm i'm more than more than aware of how i need to protect my kids and my family i'm 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 overly cautious about that. But if that wasn't true and if those weren't the right moves, then we need to know that now we need to know, you know, who was responsible because there has to be some culpability for this. We rely on our government. We rely on the people that we vote for and that we appoint and that we pay for out of our taxes to to protect us and to do the right thing for us. And if they're not, if they're if they're, you know, if they're causing us more harm, uh, you know, we, we need to figure this out today and, and not not in a month from now. Yeah, I, I feel for you. I'm so sorry to hear your story, Dave. I, I really am. And he also is stuck in the People's Socialist Republic of New Jersey. And I'll tell you, there are lawsuits against the governor, as there are many states and against many governors and attorney generals. And they don't care because there is no culpability. There is no responsibility. No one is going to hold them accountable. The worst thing that's going to happen is they won't get reelected. That's it. But taxpayers will pay any legal fees that they have. Taxpayers will pay for any settlements that may come about. So, uh, and you know, maybe Dave, maybe that's something you need to think about is joining some of these lawsuits that are happening in your state uh, with some people to try to get some kind of redress. And I I wish it was coming out of the governor's pocket because I think they would make uh, better decisions. I'm a big fan of that. People know this is what we think. This is what we think the, uh, the, uh, the implications of your decision are. If you want to stay open, stay open, but you have to do it safely. And if people want to go to your business, they can go, but they got to go safely. Let people make their own choice. In Crystal River, Florida, Jim, good morning. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Jim. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you. So would you, was this worth the, what, what we've got now? Was this worth the economic damage? Absolutely not. And here's why I say this. Um, first off, uh, my spouse, my wife, has uh, immunity deficiency issues. And uh, so with the H1N1, the bird flu, whatever have you that has happened in the past, we took it as our personal responsibility to police ourselves. Okay, we're not going to go out to Disney World. We're not going to go here mm-hmm. or there where we might get sick right. or I might bring something home. So it's it's a personal responsibility. Uh, with this, the same process. So we were used to this. We were used to, you know, abstaining mm-hmm. from different activities out in the public. And I think it's nothing more than a another Democratic ploy to diminish Trump and his his achievements. And and that's what they're using to that. Sure, there's a virus yeah, that... Yeah, you know what? You, uh, there are a lot of people who feel the way you do, Jim. And good for you for being personally responsible. Whatever happened to that? You know, if I go out somewhere and, and I get sick, then that's on me. But tell me what the risks are and allow me to make an informed decision. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to The Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade, it's me, Mary Walter, with you. I want to talk about something here that I saw. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying, I know, I know, I know we shouldn't pay attention to the polls this early and the polls meant nothing in the last election, blah, blah, blah. But President Trump was the outsider. He was the renegade. He is the incumbent now. President Trump is the one that people look to as in being in charge of the country. You've got 80% of people saying that they feel that this country is out of control. So when, when that happens, when you have a situation like that, they look to the person in charge, the man, because it's always man in charge, and they look to him and they say, he, we need some, we need to do something different. This guy's not in control. The country's out of control and he is the person in charge. So a mere couple of months ago, the economy, the economy was humming. <laughs> I sound like Nancy Pelosi. Uh, the economy was humming and uh, President Trump was doing great. And Democrats were looking at him going, we can't beat this guy. Then all of a sudden, there's coronavirus. Democrats shut down their states tighter than a drum, crash the economy. We officially entered a recession on Friday. Uh, there are still some Democrat-run states that are still shut down, slowly letting their people out because I think they realize they cannot ride this pony until November, but the damage has been done. And um, then, then we have the riots. And in these Democrat states uh, and cities, they were allowed to riot. They were allowed to run, do what they wanted to do. Uh, you have them in New York where they're just being allowed out. You're just being allowed to go. Just, uh, you have the DA uh, choosing not to prosecute them, catch and release, you know, because our cops don't have enough to do. So they could just keep catching the same people over and over and over again and dealing with the same turmoil over and over and over again. It creates chaos and it makes people feel that the guy at the top needs to be replaced. So I want to just go over some polls with you and I want to get your opinion on these polls. What do you think? Honestly, because I'm telling you, I'm nervous. I am nervous, but I'm a glass half empty kind of girl. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised even the night of the election. I had my rosary out. Our neighbors are Italian, all Catholics, are all sitting there pray, praying the rosary and praying to St. Michael. Uh, hand to God, true story. And I, up until the election, I was still saying, I don't know. I'm not confident. I'm not confident because I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than to say, oh, pff, sure, Trump's going to win, no problem. And then be like a Hillary Clinton supporter crying. I don't need the emotional roller coaster. I'd rather just think it's not going to happen and then be pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to start off with a CNN poll and don't don't go ugh, CNN. It's a CNN poll. They found that Trump's overall approval rating down seven points in the last month alone. Um, you have more than eight in 10 Americans saying that they now consider race relations as important as a campaign issue as the economy and health care. 38% approve of Trump's handling of the presidency, 57% disapprove. That is his worst approval rating since January of 2019. It is almost on par with approval ratings for Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush at this point in their reelections, and they both went on to lose the presidency after one term. Nationally, Trump is 14 points behind Joe Biden. Uh, the 41% who say that they back the president is the lowest in CNN's tracking on this question that goes back to April of 2019, and Biden's 55% support is his highest mark yet. 
They've, uh, there's broad disapproval of the president's handling of race relations, uh, with 63% disapproving. 65% say the president's response to recent protests has been more harmful than helpful. Let's see. Um, Let's see. Uh, when it comes to handling race relations, 63% say they feel Biden would do a better job. Among black voters, Biden is strongly preferred. 91% say he would be- do a better job on race relations. He- they're giving him a total free pass for everything he said that is absolutely racist if a Republican had said it. Just totally giving him a free pass on it all. Every single one of the things that he said that make you go, oh. Uh, the, the, the crime bill, everything they're going to 91% of black voters prefer Biden. Only 4% prefer Trump, uh, prefer Trump on race issues. They, uh, overall Biden gets a 54%, um, confidence rating on being able to handle coronavirus to Trump's 41% better to lead the nation in a time of crisis. Trump narrowly beats Biden out with uh, handling the economy by only five percentage points. Independence. This isn't crucial to Trump. 52% say they back Biden versus 41% for Trump. Trump needs the independence. He's losing them. Uh, independence, 37% approve of Trump's handling of the presidency and 68% feel his response to the protests have been harmful. Now, those who are behind Trump, very enthusiastic, 73% say they are extremely or very enthusiastic about voting for him. Um, 70% say their backing of Trump is more about a vote for Trump, but listen to this for Democrats, um, Democrats now say the, uh, 50% are extremely or very enthusiastic about voting for Biden in April. Now it's 69%. So his, his enthusiasm is growing. 53% of Democrats now say they are extremely enthusiastic about voting uh, period, which erases the ga- the lead that Republicans had to, had now. Um, though 60% of those voting for Biden say they're doing it as a vote against Trump, whereas 70% of those voting for Trump say that they're voting for Trump because they like Trump. So those voting for Biden are just voting for him as a vote against President Trump. Do these numbers bother you? Do they bother you? Do you see any kind of Achilles heel for Joe Biden, the racist comments, he gets a free pass. He got a, it, it's just the way it is. Biden gets a free pass um, on, on the, his racist comments. Uh, Biden gets a free pass on the crime bill. All of those things. Um, you know, it's just not going to hurt him. Will this hurt him, though? And here's the number, 866-408-7669. Will this hurt him? This is Joe Biden on CBS News when he was asked about uh, supporting the defunding of police. No, I don't support defunding the police. I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness and, in fact, are able to demonstrate they can protect the community and everybody in the community. So it was a non-answer, basically. But he did not come out and say what they want him to say, which the compelled speech is, yes, I support defunding the police. Does that hurt him because he does not come out and unequivocally say that? Or will he get a free pass on that as well? 866-408-7669. Um, we just want to give you some more numbers here. Joe Biden's lead among women over President Trump is larger than Hillary's lead with women over President Trump. Even women didn't like Hillary Clinton. Let's face it, like it or not, Joe Biden's more likable than Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden's a likable guy. Ah, shucks. Ah, gee, lunch bucket Joe. 
You know, he's nice. He's nice. Women view Trump as mean and abrasive and not a nice guy. They forget about the economy. None of that matters. Whereas Joe Biden, he's a nice guy. I like him. I'm going to vote for the guy I like. I want to vote for the guy who's smarter than me and can, and, and knows far more than I do. I don't want to vote for the guy that I can relate to. Because if I can relate to you, you're probably not smart enough to lead the country. I like to think that they're far better at, at business dealings and running the country and, and negotiations and all that kind of stuff than I ever could be. Uh, Biden, this is an NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Biden has a double-digit lead among African-Americans, which we just talked about, Latinos, voters aged 18 to 34, and whites with college degrees. Uh, President Trump uh, has a lead uh, in white, um, among men, all white voters, and uh, whites without college degrees. That is where President Trump does the best. That poll shows Biden with an 8% lead over President Trump in Michigan. President Trump in trouble. That is one of those swing states. We're seeing poll after poll after poll come out of, um, and this, remember Michigan, where you couldn't buy seeds, but in, in the, in the store, that was all boarded. That was all cordoned off, but yet they like another Democrat over the president. What do you make of these poll numbers? 866-408-7669. Mike in Stockton, California. Hey, good morning. You're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi, Mike. Hi, good morning. Um, I don't get to talk about the topic I really wanted to talk about. But, you know, Mary, I love your show. I love it when you, you host for Brian. But I can't believe you just spent 10 minutes on polls that are totally erroneous. And you know that. You just depress everybody out there in the audience. You, you do. You're a very smart woman. And um, what I want to say is there, there's no way people feel like that about Biden. I don't know where they get those. Have, have those people ever listened to Biden? And as far as his niceness, like, like you cited in one of those, who's he nice to? I've seen him on many, you know, news programs, and he's never nice. All he does is says bad things about Trump, bad things about people. He's going to take this guy behind the barn. This girl's a, a pig face. I forget what he said. Dog so face pony soldier. Yeah, well, where's the nice? Trump uh, listen, is nice, but he's, but he's brash. That, that's true. Yes, but, but here's just, the thing. I first of all, I I I am fearful for in the polls for the president. I truly am. One of my best friends is is an 88 year old woman, Rhoda. Love Rhoda. I love my Rhoda. Uh, she and I are buddies. She is a dyed in the wool Democrat, upside down, sideways. She will always vote for a Democrat. Always has, always will. And uh, up until recently. She was very upset because President Trump was going to win again. I asked her what she's upset about, and she can't pinpoint it, and then we have to talk about something else because she doesn't like to, to you know, get into details. Uh, but she likes Joe Biden. She thinks he's nice. My aunt, who is, is you know, she's a smart woman, she likes Joe Biden. She goes, but he's really nice. I was like, who cares if he's quote-unquote nice? It's perception. You may not see him as nice, but the perception is, right or wrong, that Joe Biden's a nice guy, that he's likable. The perception of President Trump, right or wrong, is that he's brash, he's rude, he's nasty, he says terrible things about people, and they and a lot of women don't like him. And that's just the way it is. And Rhoda is no longer worried about President Trump winning. 
So that says to me, I think perception is, is for a lot of people is reality. And the perception right now is President Trump is ineffective. He's not a good leader. The economy has crashed. They don't like the way he handled coronavirus. They're not blaming their local politicians. They're blaming President Trump. So, all right, I'll get more of your calls. 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Um, the polls coming out there across the board show that the president's uh, poll numbers just keep going down, 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 down. Uh, Biden's keep going up, 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 up. Biden did come out and say, though, that he is not for defunding the police. Could that affect him at all in the polls? And what do you think? Is it too early? Are you worried? 866-408-7669 in St. Louis. Uh, Bob, listening on News Talk, News Talk 97.1. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I've got some good news for you. Fake yes. polling. The poll you quoted, the NBC Wall Street Journal, if you look at the political identification, they only over-polled Democrats by 12%. If you look at the CNN poll, which shows Biden up 7%, by the way, it shows Biden up 8% in the NBC poll, well, do 12%, Trump's up 4 I know it sounds crazy, but if you look at okay. the polling from the, at the NBC poll that Lou Dobbs, I've actually got pictures of what he put up, 48-35. This is people back to work, getting people back to work, Trump up by 13. Add 12 onto that, it's 25. Dealing with China, it shows Trump up 3%. Same poll, add 12 to that, he's up 15. Then this is crazy. The economy shows Trump up 48-37 at 12% of that. And then if you go to the CNN poll where it shows Joe Biden up 7%, I'll be doggone if they didn't over-poll Democrats by 7%. So that's within the margin of error. Mm-hmm. What's even crazier, Fortune came out today and said, using the CNN poll, said that Trump, uh, Biden was up 14%. Maybe it was just somebody made a mathematical error. And all the polls, the one in Michigan, Every one of them, I, I'm kind of a geek on this. All of them are within the margin of error. If you simply look at political identification, even Chris Starwall doesn't think that's a particularly important thing to look at. Well, I won $200 last year on the or 2016 on the election, and I based it all on political identification, and it worked out well. Well, and that's great. Congratulations for the money win. But do you think that they're all off by that by the margin of error that the margin of error is is off that much in each one of those polls? Like I could see here or there maybe a couple points, but not the entire margin of error in every single poll. I mean, what did that? I would think that if if you're an odds maker, what are, what are the odds of that? No, what I'm saying is they're not all within the margin of poll unless you factor in the difference in the political identification. For example, right. right now, they would be tied at, at zero. At Joe and Trump, if you take the 7% over poll Democrats, remove that and say they poll Democrats at them and Republicans at the same level, that would have them tied. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
which would put them in the margin of error. If you even a couple, the one in Michigan, I think Trump was down two percent. If you look at the margin of error, if you look at the political identification, I think they hit them down nine. But it was like seven percent in that particular poll they used. It was kind of an obscure poll, but that's the one they used in Michigan. What I'm saying is he still showed he's down two, but the margin of error was three point five. So the good news is every one of these I've checked is either Trump winning or within the margin of error. All right. Well, from your mouth to God's ear, I'll, I'll believe you. I'll believe you. And I, I always I always like some good news. That's for darn sure. Uh, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate that. Some good news there. Let's quickly go to Ed in New York. Hey, Ed, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Did the polls worry you? Yeah, to some degree. I'm like you. I, uh, you know, I never take anything for granted. And I do like to be presently, uh, you know, I like to be surprised, you know. Uh, yeah. Just like the Trump election, but uh, you you had had a question there about, you know, what would you do about the virus if, you know, you asked people? And if I was a Democrat, then, yeah, the virus is a great thing because they were in the middle of impeaching Trump. And Dr. Fauci came out January 21st and said, don't worry about anything. It's nothing because they thought they could hang the racist thing on Trump. Then when they realized that the virus could be used, and I think all your, your listeners should start believing this, they turned 180 degrees and said, well, all of a sudden, Trump wasn't a racist anymore for the travel ban. He didn't act fast enough. Right. Now, Harry Reid, if you go back, Harry Reid, uh, when he was questioned about his lie about Romney, he, his, his departing... His party statement was, yeah, but it worked. And Bill Maher said a couple of years ago that it would be worth the depression just to get rid of Trump. So this is the mentality you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, th- these, the Democrats are taking, you know, and, and Rom, Rombo, the, the Hannity calls him dead fish. I can't remember his name. He said never let, you know, a good tragedy go to waste. And it's exactly yeah. what the Democrats are doing. And I- that was Rahm Ema- That was uh, Rahm Emanuel. You made some. You made some great points there about they did pivot immediately from from one thing to the next. It's kind of like the masks. The masks you have to stay locked down unless, of course, you're rioting or protesting. And then, of course, it's okay to not stay locked down because it's for a good cause. But everybody else has to stay locked down. There does seem to be a lot of movement of the goal line. More of your calls coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walters sitting in for a vacationing Brian Kilme. Brian will be back with you tomorrow. I'm sad, but he deserved that time off. Just want to do a roundup here of just the insanity and of the times in which we are living, because I think these things come so fast and furiously that we don't really um, get to talk about them in depth or they just come by and you're like, oh, I think I heard that. This is just, you know, the censorship, the the era in which we're living. We talked about Drew Brees when that happened, um, New Orleans Saints quarterback. 
He is a charity. He and his wife have probably given away hundreds of millions of dollars to help feed needy kids. They take care of sick kids. And when he gave his own personal view of the national anthem, his own personal view, it lasted for a week. He had to apologize twice. His wife had to put out a statement saying, we are the problem. We're the problem. You're the problem. I, I don't understand how you're the problem. You you now as a white American aren't allowed to say that I revere the flag, that I stand up and put my hand over my heart for the flag, because to me, this is what the flag stands for. Because what to you, to what Drew Brees, the flag stands for is against what the, the you know, the ravaged mob is bellowing about and it flies in the face of their personal beliefs. You can't have yours. You can have your beliefs, but you have to keep them quiet. You know, kind of like going to church. You can't do that. out. You got to do that in the basement of your home on the down low and don't let anybody know about it because it might offend somebody that you go to church. Uh, so this idea of First Amendment rights and the, and the right to express your opinion, uh-uh, no more. We have a group of people a lot of them very prominent in media, in, um, you know, sports. And then, of course, the the ones who are running through the streets screaming and yelling and telling you, you know, demanding compelled speech from you, demanding that you kneel in front of them and on and on. Uh, and I love I love the elitists, the liberal elites. I think Chrissy Teigen and John Legend and, you know, the, the usual suspects, Alyssa Milano, Nancy Pelosi, who will never live the way you and I live. They live behind gates. They live with private security. So advocating for defunding the police for them is a joke because they know it doesn't apply to them. None of this applies to them. Advocating for, you know, let in every illegal. They don't care because they live behind gates. Not going to bother them. Their chauffeur takes them on out through the masses. Doesn't bother them. So, uh, so you got that. Now, here's uh, Terry Crews. Totally hot, Terry Crews. Uh, former NFL player. He's an actor now. On Sunday, he tweeted out the following. Now, I want you to put your ears on and all the, all the learning that you've been taught. And I want you to listen for the racism here or what he said that is wrong in this statement. He said, Defeating white supremacy without white people creates black supremacy. Equality is the truth. Like it or not, we are all in this together. Oh my God, I can't believe he said that. Here, here are some of the replies he got on Twitter. Why is it that every black man I know with a white partner feels the need to quote both sides this? Someone else said, shut yo name. It's not the N word, but it's another derogatory slur and I'm white. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. So I'm not going to. Uh, so that word, but up, um, let's see. There are really some ignorant black people with platforms that depend on keeping white people comfortable. And it shows, how are you this stupid? Another person said black supremacy should not, does not, will not, and cannot exist. You could easily just speak up for the benefits of coexisting with white people who use their privilege for good. Uh, without creating some ludicrous false equivalency and on and on and on. Um, it, it was just crazy. So he winds up explaining and says, I was not saying black supremacy exists because it doesn't. I'm saying if both black and white don't continue to work together, bad attitudes and resentments can create a dangerous self-righteousness. That's all. Then he was accused of, of mainly responded that he was mainly responding to members of the black community who decide, oh, he explains to um, members of the black community. He said, um, 
how often I have often been called out for not being black enough. How can that be? Any black person who calls me a, the same word that I can't say, or an Uncle Tom for promoting equality is a black supremacist because they have determined who is black and who is not. Guess what? It didn't end there. Of course it didn't. He told NBC News, I've been victimized since I was a kid. I mean, being a black man in America, there's so many things that I had to blink blink past in order to make it and continue to exist. Most of the time as black men, we are not recognized as victimized until we're dead. Think about that. Think of all those, those black men and black boys and black children and black women in Chicago who were shot on a weekly basis. And most of the time, nobody recognizes them at all. He, uh, yesterday he tweeted out again, please know that everything I've said comes from a spirit of love and reconciliation for the black community first, then the world as a whole in hopes to see a better future for black people. I believe it's important. We not suffer from group think and we keep minds of our own and be allowed to ask difficult questions to each other. I believe this dialogue is important as we get through this trauma together. I love you. He, this man has had to apologize three, four, five, six, seven times. And if he, if he doesn't, if he's not quiet, he doesn't, you know, accede to the crowd, he's probably going to see his career in Hollywood go south. You have uh, Tom Cotton, who the New York Times came to him uh, to, uh, and asked him to write an op-ed. He did. And the, the entire thing started a huge staff backlash where the editor wind, wound up being asked for his resignation because the safetyists, the 20 and 30 somethings who didn't feel safe anymore wound up uh, screaming loudly enough to get him ousted. You've got JK Rowling who's under fire because um, she said that um, there there was a, a, an opinion piece that was written uh, that was, that was, um, here's the, here's the headline opinion, creating a more equal post COVID-19 world for people who menstruate. And she tweeted in response, people who menstruate, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Woman, wimpund, woomund. And she is now being dragged through the mud for being accused of being anti-trans anti-transgender. You have Daniel Radcliffe, who is, you know, about the right age for a safetyist, who said, uh, posted an open letter and says, transgender women are women. Any statement to the contrary erases the identity and dignity of transgender people and goes against all advice given by professional healthcare associations who have far more expertise on this subject matter than either Joe or I. Uh, It's, and, and he, it's just... Crazy town. It's crazy town. I know two men who became women. I haven't been in touch with them in a long time. But but years ago, we, we were I, I knew them. We talked about this a lot. And they would tell you right now, because they're older, that this is insane. You biolog- it's a biological function that men cannot experience. Sorry. That's the way it is. And to pretend otherwise, just to pretend to make somebody feels better, flies in the face of science that the left keeps telling me they're all for. But if you say it, you're somehow a hateful person and you're anti-trans, which I'm sure there's a fun word for that, um, because you happen to state science, which they're all for, except in this situation, and then you need to be quiet. And you need to sit down. You need to just sit down. 
Hugh Jackman being criticized for sharing a post, a photo of a protester hugging a police officer. What is wrong with that? That's a good thing, right? It's, it's a white cop hugging a black protester, the two of them hugging. Um, the man, the protester has his little mask on. He shared a photo on Wednesday that shows, um, a protest where signs are holding cops kill signs. And this, this black protesters crying and the two of them are hugging and he captioned the image. It just says solidarity. And one user wrote, this is shallow propaganda designed to obfuscate and maintain oppressive dynamics. This is real. This really is, this really is your contribution. Really? Um, you forgot the rest. Solidarity for a photo op. Then back to shooting and beating peaceful protesters and journalists. Um, bro was in Les Mis and he still doesn't get it. Did you pay attention to the X-Men movies you were in? On and on and on. And then they, of course, they go, well, he defended his relationship with President Trump's daughter, Ivanka, and her husband, Jared, by saying that they were simply avoiding talking politics. Uh-oh. Don't forget, he's good friends with Ivanka and Jared. He must be destroyed. What kind of crazy world are we living in? The editor of the um, Philadelphia Inquirer had to resign over a headline. There was a staff call about um, about the number of minorities on on the um, staff, and they talked about how the progress that they've made and and how they've they've added more and more, and they're getting more diverse voices. And according to a piece published in the Inquirer, the the session, which was a big Zoom staff meeting session, turned intense and emotional. Some journalists could be seen in tears in their Zoom frames. That's crazy. Because their feelings were hurt, they didn't think they were making progress fast enough. The editor had to resign. He had to resign. And this last one I'm going to give you that you probably haven't heard about, so I want to share it with you. University of California, Los Angeles, has, has started an inquiry into a teacher because this teacher committed the sin, a white teacher, of reading Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail aloud to his students that he was teaching virtually, and it's because the document includes the N-word. In a department-wide email obtained by the Washington Free Beacon, UCLA political science chair Michael Chui and two other department leaders condemned W. Ajax Parrish's use of the word in a lecture he was delivering about the history of racism against African Americans. Officials say the department referred him. He's an Air Force veteran to the university's discrimination prevention office, and they urge students to come forward with complaints. The email also faulted him for showing a documentary to the class in which a lynching is described, and he didn't stop when the students begged him to. The students asked him to. They were hurt. Can you believe this? He's reading a historic document that has a word that hurt them. So now he may lose his job and he's been called on the carpet. Protesters that were protesting UCLA on Thursday, asking them, begging them to terminate him, as well as an accounting professor who refused to delay or cancel final exams for minority students who may have been hurt by this entire episode. Because now if you're hurt, you need to have your finals canceled because you're a minority and you're hurt by the entire experience. It's crazy. And even doing the Terry Crews thing, the, that piece there, I didn't say a word because even though it was in the headline, 
I'm not sure that because based on the color of my skin, I'm allowed to say that word when reporting a news story and reporting fact. That's how insane this world has become. It's crazy. All right. Uh, We'll have some fun with this. Not with this, but we'll have some fun with something totally different um, coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, it's something not political. This one's out of Germany. A hotel on the North Sea on the Germany's coast has banned overweight guests because they're afraid that they're going to damage the the resort's furniture. (laughs) My hunch is this is aimed at Americans. It's just my guess. It's the Beach Hotel Zollenberg in the German city of Cuxhaven. And uh, they opened everything up, you know, because it's cold. It's cold there. And uh, so they just opened up, the, uh, you know, the beaches and, and the hotels are opening. In order to stay at this hotel, you must be no more than 285 pounds or less. It's actually 286. They're giving you the extra pound because it's 130 kilograms. So 286 pounds or or below. The hotel says for reasons of liability, we would like to point out that the interior is not suitable for people with a body weight of more than 286 pounds. The reason is because the elegant furniture that they have there, I guess it's very upscale, is too sensitive and it can't support the weight of anyone upwards of 286 pounds. Now, I have my dining room set is old. It's the table is got to be it's from probably it's a hundred years old, maybe. Uh, and they didn't have chairs. So I bought chairs at an auction, had them refinished. And I had them, you know, tuned up and everything by a furniture maker. They're all fixed. But there are some people who sit every now and then in my dining room chairs. And I'm like, oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. Because I, I don't think that they're going to hold, you know, but um, they have so far so good. Fingers crossed. The hotel operator, Angelika Hagesheimer. Uh, said her hotel's classic furniture is not made for big butts. She said the designer chairs downstairs, they're real classics. When a person over 286 pounds sits on it, they sit there with one buttock on the chair and that then the, with one buttock and the chair does not last long. I want to have a designer hotel and I want to have nice furniture, not brutal furniture made of oak. She said she won't get fooled again. She said that a large visitor broke one of her hotel beds recently Previous, and it was the moment she decided to bite the bullet and um, put a weight limit on guests. She also said the design of the chairs make them uncomfortable for larger people. The showers are too small for larger people as well. Uh, and in Germany, you can discre- you can do this. A legal expert said that only if an obese person reaches the threshold of a disability does protection against discrimination exist in Germany. So I kind of feel her pain because, again, having old furniture, um, I took all the antiques nobody else wanted because everybody wants new and Ikea and everything like that. So I, I took a lot of the old furniture and it's beautiful. But I do fear every now and then when I have a larger friend over and I'm like, oh, I just keep my fingers crossed. My husband and I are looking at each other, making eye contact because if they fall, it's a lawsuit and you break my antique. So so I do. I do. <laughs> I do feel her pain to a certain degree. Okay. 
Uh, just very quickly, a treasure stash was found in New Mexico 10 years ago. This guy announced he had hidden a chest somewhere in the Rocky Mountains of gold, jewels, and other valuables over a million dollars. He was dying of cancer, and uh, he wanted to you know, get people out there and do a fun family thing. Someone finally found it. Um, uh, and so they got a million dollars. The chase is over, which is pretty cool. And the really happy note of all of this is he survived. He beat his cancer. So he was alive to see them find the treasure chest. Now, the best story of the day, Chris Cuomo, CNN anchor, was apparently caught in the nude in the garden of his Hamptons mansion during a social media yoga session that was being filmed by his wife, Christina Grieven Cuomo. He is seen in a screen grab that somebody got. Um, So she's doing downward dog there. And through the big picture windows, you see somebody looks like Chris Cuomo from back um, in the all together, in the au natural, outside, hanging out outside, au natural, enjoying nature, which... I can tell you, I don't think I've ever done that for fear of someone seeing me. And if you're Chris Cuomo, I'm not worried about a drone or something. And this was during an Instagram live yoga video. And it was quickly deleted. It was filmed May 27th, but somebody got a screen grab of it. Show, you know, strutting his buff. So, so you see, uh, strutting himself out there. You see him in the all together and his butt. And looking good there, Chris. Nice work. <laughs> So remember, things could be worse. You could be Chris Cuomo. (laughs) I'm Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.